Welcome to It's All About Who You Know with host Craig Turner from Momento, the business growth agency. On our podcast, Craig interviews executives from chambers of commerce around the United States and Canada, tapping into their expertise on how to get the most value from your business associations, how their organizations are serving their members, and what's happening in their market for companies looking to grow there. Here's Craig Turner. Welcome to the It's All About Who You Know podcast brought to you by Momentum, the business growth agency. I'm Craig Turner, your host, and we've got what I think is going to be a a bit of an eye-opening conversation in store for you today. Uh, To the professionals listening into this episode from around the country, we're going to throw you a concept that I'm guessing probably isn't something that you'd spend a minute of your time thinking about. And the question I have for you is, what if you woke up one morning and suddenly could not access half of your business community, completely cut off business, tourism, restaurants? If you're sitting on the U.S.-Canada border, like we are here in Buffalo Niagara Falls area, uh, that's exactly what happened last April when the U.S.-Canadian border closed to non-essential travel. Up until March 2020, we crossed the border as if it wasn't there for business meetings, sporting events, tourist activities, bike rides. Uh, there were many times in my life where, where our, our team at work took our lunch break in Canada and we're back in time for the afternoon. That's how free-flowing it was. But last spring, it was over. And while the two countries had the good sense to keep freight moving, thank goodness, uh, the economic impact of the closed border has been tangible. So our guest for today's episode is Gary Douglas, who's been in the midst of this fight since day one. Gary's president and CEO of the North Country Chamber of Commerce, and I'm envisioning he's going to open your eyes a little bit today on how important the U.S.-Canada relationship is. So Gary, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us here today. My pleasure. So I'm looking forward to this discussion and digging into some of the unique challenges. We've talked to a, a lot of chambers of commerce, but you're going to have a little different challenges over the last year and a half than, uh, than many of them. First, let me tell people a little bit about you. Gary's been at the helm of the North Country Chamber of Commerce since December 1992. He led the chamber's evolution from a county business association to a regional economic development and business advocacy organization that serves more than 4,000 employers across five counties in the northernmost parts of New York State. Over the last 29 years, under Gary's leadership, the North Country Chamber has been a leader in broadening and deepening the the economic partnership between Quebec and New York, something we'll talk about today, Uh, successfully redeveloping the former Plattsburgh Air Force Base, creating a cluster of more more than 50 transportation equipment and aerospace manufacturers, employing some 9,000 people, attracting more than $500 million in federal and state investment for infrastructure and economic development, and engaging in effective government affairs in Washington and Albany. Gary previously served for 14 years as executive assistant to a leading member of Congress from New York, and prior to that, he worked in the New York State Senate. A powerhouse organization needs a powerhouse leader, and Gary, thank you again for joining us. Uh, I think I'm going to have to ask for a raise. uh, After that, yeah. It it read nicely. I was very, uh, you sent the bio over, and I'm looking, I'm like, I can't cut anything out of here. This is great. So let's start, though, with just an intro to the North Country Chamber. Can you just tell us a little bit about the organization? Well, as uh, mentioned, we're a regional chamber of commerce. We think of ourselves uh, more as a regional economic development and business advocacy organization, unlike what most folks would expect maybe to find in Plattsburgh, New York. We really operate at a level and with uh, with the numbers and I believe with the uh, strategic commitments and effectiveness of most of the uh, more metro chambers in the state of New York, Buffalo Niagara Partnership, Rochester Area Chamber, Center State CEO, the Capital Region Chamber in Albany. Those are our peers. Those are the chambers that are most similar to ours. 
The difference, of course, uh, with us uh, from a regional or uh, from a metro area is that to have 4,000 members, you've got to cover a huge territory because it's mostly pretty sparse. So it takes me three hours to drive from one corner of my service area to the other, which is why I put 35,000 miles a year in my car. But that's what we do in the North Country, we drive. Plattsburgh itself is a, um, uh, unbeknownst to most people that aren't familiar with our area, uh, is a major manufacturing hub. It has been for 150 years. You come through the Adirondack Mountains with all the natural beauty and the recreation and the tourism economy and all of that. And you come down into the Champlain Valley and you come to a, a very different place than most New Yorkers know is up there at the far northeast corner of the state of New York, which is this place with a diverse manufacturing economy that has never gone down. While there are hundreds of places like Plattsburgh, small to medium manufacturing centers that emerged in the 1800s and mostly today, unfortunately, are characterized by the closed factory with the cyclone fence and the boarded up downtown. There are lots of those uh, wondering what comes next. Our manufacturing sector made a very smooth transition in the, uh, in the 80s and 90s in particular. Some legacy things, pharmaceuticals and some other activities left, but new things like transportation equipment and aerospace came in. And so we, uh, we remained a place that makes things and never stopped being a place that makes things. And that's, uh, that adds a special element to a community. Um, if you never lost your manufacturing culture, you have a power behind manufacturing that places don't have that made things for 100 years, everything shut down. And now you know, they're trying to restore that manufacturing culture. It's awfully hard to bring back. So we have that uh, very international business community. We've been recognized several times by the Financial Times of London as a leading community in the Americas for the attraction of foreign direct investment. Uh, we have more than 100 physical locations of Canadian-based businesses on this side of the border. We estimate that uh, for Clinton County, the area immediately around Plattsburgh, 15% of the workforce got up this morning, went to work for a Canadian or border-related employer on this side of the border. And then we cover a large, probably about half of the Adirondack region, which as noted is very different. Not about manufacturing, it's small business, it's recreation, it's tourism uh, and resorts. So it's a very diverse area to manage as a chamber. 35,000 miles, I think about, uh, yeah, when I when I worked for the chamber, just uh, getting up in the morning and driving out to the suburbs for, <laughs> for meetings, for a day of meetings, you're driving halfway across the state almost. So let's talk about what's going on in the region, and and I kind of I kind of tipped it off what we're going to talk about a lot, which is which is the 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 border being closed to non-essential travel, and you've been you've been working on that for a long time. But let's let's talk the region in general. What what are the opportunities you're seeing? What are, what are the challenges that you're seeing? Well, in, interestingly, uh, for the chamber itself, uh, the last year and a half, well, you know, you can focus on the challenges and the need to be nimble and respond and provide services you didn't imagine a year earlier you'd be providing. I think for many chambers, and I would certainly put us uh, in this category, it's a golden age for chambers. Chambers were seen really being what chambers are, really uh, really being seen for the important institutions they are to their business community who suddenly were hit with this thing a year and a half ago out of the blue that shut them down, didn't know when they were going to come out, and then all of these things kept kind of dribbling out. Well, you know, you can reopen if you're essential, but are you essential? And uh, maybe you're, you're categorized, maybe you're not. Maybe you think your category should change. And 
how do you deal with uh, with the vaccination process as that rolls out? And then the state had its its gradual reopening process for different sectors, but all kinds of safety requirements you have to meet, and on and on and on. And uh, I don't mind saying our chamber team excelled at that. Therefore, we've never we've never been stronger. Uh, well, some chambers I know um, entered uh, that year immediately after the pandemic kind of hit with great trepidation. You know, and some of them even pulled back. Some of them shut down. We had two in the North Country region of New York that literally locked their doors and said, well, we'll be back when this is over. To which I frankly would say, don't come back. Just shown you're irrelevant. Um, you weren't there when you were needed. You just threw your gun down on the field of battle and ran away. But uh, it was a, a remarkable opportunity to show that value. We not only um, came through it kind of unscathed financially, we're having the best financial year we've ever had, We've grown membership uh, about 15% from where we were at at the beginning of the pandemic because all the business community who weren't members saw the things that we were doing and wanted to support the chamber. So organizationally, we're in a very strong position. Now, in terms of our, our economy, certainly we have keyed ourselves specifically and always will to our location, which is, as in the case of Plattsburgh, being Montreal's U.S. suburb. We're one hour uh, from downtown Montreal. It's where... Most of our manufacturing investment comes from, it's where a lot of our business activity comes from for our tourism and hospitality sector. Uh, it's big and that's true in a lot of border areas, but here it's even more importantly about cross-border foreign direct investment, bi-national manufacturing activities, supply chain activities that are cross-border. It's not about the things that many areas think of as primary, which is the Canadian shopper in the supermarket or you know, um, in, in the hotel. We have that too. It's important. It's been hurt, but uh, we really, um, we really are continuing to struggle with the seeming willingness of a federal government to take the most precious and integrated economic partnership on the face of the earth in human history. I would argue, and show no regard for it whatsoever in terms of any planning, any ways forward, or any understanding of the impacts. The impacts are not just on the fact that our Canadian friends can't come across the border and uh, and visit the restaurant or shop at the store or go to Lake Placid and stay in a hotel for a weekend. There is that, and we want to we want to get back to those things happening again. But it is about the interference with all of the things that characterize our economic integration. The notion that oh, it's all okay because the boxes are still going back and forth, and we haven't interfered with trucking. Well, thank heavens. Thank you very much, sir. You know, hit me again. But you know, that is not the be all of an integrated economy. If it's all about the boxes going back and forth, that would be the case if it was the U.S. and Thailand or if it were, you know, Canada and Bulgaria. Uh, but the U.S. and Canada do not trade with each other. I refuse to use that term in the U.S.-Canadian context. We are a post-trade economy that makes things together. And together we compete against China and the rest of the world. And that is being interfered with because the people related to these companies, these investment decisions, changes in supply chains, which always need to be made to maximize efficiency and productivity aren't happening because the people that need to make those decisions can't cross the border. You can talk virtually all you want with someone about this space for their expanded U.S. operation at some industrial park in Plattsburgh and show them pretty pictures. But until they can visit the site, they're not going to pull the trigger. And we're increasingly seeing frustration in that regard, as well as our manufacturing base, much of which is binational, 
with operations in both Quebec and the North Country, doing a lot of things together, where it would be routine for a couple of specialized quality assurance people in St. Eustache, Quebec, uh, for Novabus to come down and visit the plant in Plattsburgh to problem solve for a few days. And now are being told, well, yeah, normally you could do that, but you're not essential. So there are all kinds of interferences going on with the economic relationship that is causing deep harm. The only upside to that I see is that the patience is there. The, the, the reasons for doing it remain the good reasons for doing it. And so when we come to a point where they finally say, okay, you can all start coming down again, uh, we're going to see an extraordinary year of foreign investment out of Canada that is pent up. I agree completely. Yeah, the, you know, the frustrations are, are on are on a number of different levels, as you said, from from the the tourism and the you know the the consumer spending all the way to the interactions on the mm-hmm. on the industrial side. Let me ask you. You said your revenue wise as a chamber of commerce, you're 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 doing well because you were able to transition and and answer the needs of the of the community. Uh, we have other chamber executives listening in and and as we know we we look to each other for the for um insights and inspirations the question i have for you is uh, how have you wrapped your well, your own and, and your team's head around that transition and the reason i ask that is because you said you're up 15 percent in revenue but you're up 15 percent in revenue at a time when you weren't able to hold big events which is generally the way that chambers raise revenue how did you how did you approach the finances of the organization understanding that a lot of your work was not going to be 300 person events but it was going to be one-on-one phone calls helping people walk through their ppp application it's an oversimplification but part of it was we didn't get lost in the forest for the trees Mm -hmm. Uh, we didn't we didn't care about the finances we cared about the service we threw i i threw with my executive committee and my board uh, in the week after the pandemic hit and the shutdown came, you know what? We're not going to cut staff. We're not going to furlough anybody. We're going to need to do more. This is going to be the period when we need to excel. We're going to go into debt. We're probably going to have a terrible financial year. So be it. We'll take on whatever loans we need. And however many years it takes to pay it off, we'll pay it off. But we're going to be there. We're going to do everything. We're not going to worry about the finances. I think the chambers that got in trouble is they started with thinking about the finances. Think about the services and the value, and you provide remarkable services and value. And I think those chambers, and I've talked to some colleagues who are in a similar situation, who focused on value and service during this thing, are having a good financial year. Because we ended up not only with strong membership retention, strong participation in virtual events when we started having those as an alternative platform, we ended up with members almost, I would say, at least a third of our members not only paid their dues, they, they sent us extra money. Uh, we had major members who called and said, you're doing such great work and it's so important. We want to give you $25,000. It isn't for anything in particular. We don't want a sponsorship for it. We just want to support the work of the chamber. That was not unusual. And so it was focusing on the service and the value that in turn made sure we didn't have the financial problems in the end. But our determination was in the beginning, we don't care about the finances. We'll figure that out later just like all of our members needed to, but we needed to be there to help them figure it out. And then we will figure out our own finances after the fact. That's a nice call to get. <laughs> I'm going to give you some money to help you 
help you fulfill your mission. Yeah, we don't want anything for it. We don't want any exposure. I think that's because they didn't want others asking them for it. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the impossible question, because things seem to change every hour, but what are you what are you looking at for the rest of the year and into 2022? What is what is the North Country Chamber focused on? Certainly in terms of the continuing response to the pandemic, uh, we've been the recipient of one of the Empire State Development Grants to provide technical, uh, technical assistance for the state's uh, pandemic relief small business grant program, which then also has allowed us to have a full-time person uh, on board who's, who's doing outreach and providing assistance on all of the other federal and state programs that might assist hands-on. We're contacting them. We're visiting communities in our region to walk the main streets and stop in and talk to businesses to help them with applications. Our ethic at the beginning, and we said this repeatedly, was we will leave no business behind. Now, the caveat to that was always we admitted, you know, we've lost some friends and we're going to lose a few more, but we're losing far fewer than we would have if we hadn't hung together and we hadn't helped each other out uh, through the chamber. And so that has always been the ethic. It continues to be. And I think we're doing well on that. The, uh, the border continued advocacy on that and preparation for that. We have plans uh, on the shelf and ready, both in the tourism and hospitality sector for the day that they say, okay, Canadians can start coming into the U.S. again to, uh, to launch uh, uh, new campaigns focused on welcoming them back, encouraging them, telling them how much we miss them. Uh, and similarly, on the economic development front, to really, we're really ready to work with what we know is going to be a burst of cross-border investment in expansions and new locations and activities, new supply chain selections of U.S. suppliers by Canadian companies. So being prepared uh, for that, and we are. One of the things we did through the pandemic is we updated all of our websites. We created a new foreign direct investment website, nymtl.com, uh, where New York meets Montreal. We created a new workforce recruitment uh, website, uh, northcountrygoodlife.com. Uh, we updated our airport and tourism websites. We kept doing a lot of work that was actually there was uh, when when some when a lot of the staff was working from home, it was a great opportunity for them to work on things that you always want to do, but you have time making the time to work on those things to update things that now is going to bring value to us because we did a lot of that updating during this period. When you're not doing your uh, gala event that opens up an awful lot of hours. <laughs> yeah, everybody had plenty to do. They just had different things to do in some yeah. cases. How big is your staff? Uh, 14. 14. We have three subsidiaries. Altogether, Consolidated Financials is about $2.5 million. Yeah, that, that staff of 14 accomplished an awful lot in the last year and a half. <laughs> you've been, so you've been, uh, you've been in this role for 29 years. What today, 29 years later, gets you excited and gets you up in the morning uh, about what you do on a daily basis. There is no greater gig in the world than running a chamber of commerce, particularly a full service chamber and one that has, that gives you the opportunity to develop its culture and create a culture of growth and entrepreneurial spirit about how you're going to run your chamber. That's never satisfied with where it is and always wants to take, it wants to make a difference in its region and to reposition the economy of its region. One of the things that's exciting about chambers in the economic development realm is that the classic economic development organizations generally are focused on the real estate. They run industrial parks, they do site selection. Uh, and we have some excellent ones that, that, uh, that do that in our area that we work very well with. Where a chamber can be fundamentally valuable in economic development is the long-term visioning 
and the stick to itiveness to spend 20, 25 years developing a vision for a regional economy to reposition it that your real estate focused organizations just don't have the luxury to do because their board inevitably is going to say, yeah, that all sounds great, Joe, but you know, what about that tenant that's not paying the rent? You know, when, when are you going to fill that empty warehouse out there? We need to focus on that. It becomes about the real estate. And that's where chambers can really play an essential role because not having those kinds of responsibilities, we can stick to something that takes 20 years to do, like making yourself Montreal's U.S. suburb, like making yourself a lead organization of foreign direct investment out of, uh, out of Canada and the world in developing a, uh, a strategic cluster of transportation equipment and aerospace companies. Uh, that's taken 25 years to build from zero to 50 companies now uh, in that sector. And that's, that's, to me, that's the fun of running a chamber. Now, I've been here 29 years. I don't like to rush things. I haven't decided yet if it's what I really want to do. <laughs> I think it probably is. I'm going to give it another five or 10 years. We'll see how it's working out. Uh, if it isn't, I'll try doing something else. That's great. Yeah, yeah, working in the in the chamber world and any not-for-profit world, uh, there's lots and lots of ideas that come out, and uh, we, we say all the time it's only a good idea if someone is to uh, someone is willing to pay for it because there's a lot of great ideas that just don't have the financial backing and, and can't really go too far. So uh, the question we like to ask, as the head of the chamber, key role in the business community, if you had a blank check today to take on an impactful project, where where would you spend that money? Seeing somehow if we could bribe enough uh, enough officials in Washington to reopen the border. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, just uh, just kidding. Um, there are projects here in this region that we're working on that uh, that uh, we play a, a very heavy role in advocating for in, in infrastructure investment in the region. We've been working heavily with Senator Schumer's office in particular on the in infrastructure bill, uh, which we're hoping the House will wrap up at the end of this month which will have enormous investment in uh, closing broadband and cell phone gaps, which is still a critical issue coming out of the pandemic. They were going into the pandemic. They really are coming out of the pandemic uh, in regions like the Adirondacks where there's still a dearth of that kind of technology. And now it's been shown to be not a matter of convenience, but a matter of necessity. Continued investments at our former Air Force Base, which is now Plattsburgh International Airport and Aerospace Park. Uh, we have a project where we're working towards now uh, involved in uh, electric air, aircraft development. Yes, it is coming. Electric vertical lift aircraft are already very much in production and we hope to make them here. Really just more of the things that we're, that we're doing and the, the projects that we've identified rather than something out there that's just kind of a dream. The, the dream is the everyday work around the strategic vision that we put in place 25 years ago. Absolutely. Is there a uh, is there a member too you want to you want to give a plug to while we while we've got a microphone here? Well, one of the things that uh, that we're most excited about in terms of our transportation equipment aerospace cluster is that while all areas kind of want to figure out how to get a part of the you know the clean green uh, technology economy and gee how do we get into that uh, we're in it uh, as we pick the sector that automatically is evolving into it which is mass transit equipment. Uh, which is rail and buses. Uh, Volvo uh, makes uh, Nova buses for the transit sector and uh, Prevo motor coaches for the motor coach sector, both moving into electric bus production. We hope for Plattsburgh with Nova uh, bus to be uh, a center in electric bus, electric bus transition over the next several years. 
And then we have Alstom, which uh, recently acquired Bombardier, which we brought here, making rail cars since 1995, uh, which is in that sector. So it's a nice sector to be in. It's a cutting edge sector. We're actively working with the state of New York to frame a full understanding of the importance of what we make here in Plattsburgh within this notion of the green economy and electrification. It's not just about cars and charging stations and windmills. Uh, It's about who's making the the 21st century green transit equipment, uh, and we're making it here in Plattsburgh. That's fantastic. I'm just, I'm I'm, I'm hitched on every word you're saying and thinking about uh, possibilities. Well, the nice thing about the transit, one of the reasons we picked that cluster to go after, certainly part of it was that we had been very good at making ourselves a conducive location for U.S. operations of Quebec-based manufacturers, so which has given us over years a real diversity of manufacturing. But then within that, we focused on transportation equipment and aerospace because it was huge in Quebec in both of those sectors, uh, hungry for the U.S. market and for all the reasons that a plastics manufacturer from Quebec would find it conducive to be in Plattsburgh and find our expertise important. You know, they certainly would as well, uh, particularly with the closure of Plattsburgh Air Force Base, which gave us all of that property and all of those assets now for private sector use, that that was a good sector to pick for that reason. But also because I don't know how long we're going to make widgets in the U.S., but we're always going to make things that make things move. So it's a sector that's always going to be with us if we can establish it and It's a sector that has a lot of synergies, which is why we had three legs we wanted to develop. We now have all three. First was rail with Bombardier in 95. Second was road uh, with Volvo when they came here 12 years ago. And then aerospace, which Norse Titanium brought us into uh, in the last uh, three or four years. And then the clustering that comes with that sector. If you've got a plastic bottle company, the pellets come in one end of the plant and the bottles go out the other end of the plant. That's nice, there's great impact, happy to have those kinds of manufacturers. But when you're assembling rail cars and buses and planes, you suddenly have dozens of component makers because what they're doing is they're combining and assembling things, um, not just making things. And so you get a multiplier effect that's three to five times more than the primary plant that you don't get to the same degree with other kinds of manufacturing. And the last few years has shown us that we want to have those uh, component manufacturers as close to the assembly plant as you can possibly get. And probably on the U.S. side of the border. So let me, uh, I'm going to start to wrap this up and I I appreciate everything you walked us through. It's really fantastic. People are always looking to be inspired. Are there, are there, and you're very busy, you have so much going on, but are there, are there any books, blogs, podcasts that you follow that, that uh, work for you and you would, you would recommend? Not really. I'm an avid reader of news. I get up early in the morning and I read online probably about 20 different international newspapers that I scan. Obviously, Canadian papers, uh, in addition to U.S. papers, British papers and others. Uh, So I find gleaning things out of the news is something that's very instructive. I'm not much on reading articles from somebody who tells you the eight ways that you should do something. (laughs) I'm into knowing what's going on out there and, and in the news and keeping keeping on top of that and factoring that into my thinking. The eight ways you should do something. And number five will blow your mind. <laughs> <laughs> Click here. So Gary, thank you so much. Uh, and you, you threw an awful lot at us. I'm sure that somebody listening to this might have to go through a couple of times and listen to all the different things you're working on, which is tremendous. 
where should where's the best place to send people to find out more about the the North Country Chamber? Well, like uh, like all of us today, go to our website northcountrychamber.com and you'll also find there those subsidiary websites that we have on foreign direct investment, uh, relocation, tourism, Plattsburgh International Airport. You'll find all those off of the main site. Well, Gary, thank you again for, for being here with us and walking us through the, the many things you're working on at the North Country Chamber. I'm sitting here on the border myself. I feel the frustrations. It's been a, it's been a pleasure working with you and being in the trenches on that issue. On everything else, I wish you continued success. I uh, appreciate you raising your voice so loudly on these issues that affect so many of us and many, many jobs and livelihoods. Pleased to see things going so well for the Chamber and, and for your team. I'm hoping that everyone has already talked to their own chambers of commerce and put their strategy in motion for the fall, whether it's networking, advocacy, or helping to grow the business community in your area. Your chambers of commerce need your support, and you can see what happens when you support your chamber, and they can provide you all kinds of value in return. If you're interested in learning how we can help you capture that value, check out our website at www.momentumforbusinessgrowth.com. I also encourage you to connect with me, Craig Turner, on LinkedIn where we post weekly advice, information, and guidance on how to make the most of your Chamber of Commerce investments. Again, if you're doing business in Northern New York State or Montreal, or you're interested in that market or the cross-border market, please check out www.northcountrychamber.com and connect with Gary and his outstanding team there. Thank you again, Gary, for being with us. Thank you to our listeners, and we'll see you soon with another episode of the It's All About Who You Know podcast. Take care. Onward and upward.